Get your Bible out and uh, let's do what we do. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're diving into God's Word today in our series, Jesus is Greater. And uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, kind of end of this chapter, beginning of uh, the next chapter. Uh, so I just want to kind of lead off with a question, all right? You don't have to answer it out loud. Just think about it in your own mind. Uh, how would you define success? How would you define success? You know, that's, a, that's an important question, right? Because however you define success, that's kind of the measurement then that you measure your life to say, you know, am I living a successful life? You know, I, I think everybody wants to be successful to some degree, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I can't wait to be a loser, all right? Nobody, nobody does that, right? We're, we're, we want to be successful in our marriage, our relationships, in our career, whatever we're doing, we want to be successful in that. But how do you measure that? How do you know if you're being successful? How do you define success? If you go to the dictionary, you're going to look up what is success. You'll get a definition that says something like this, getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. And I, I assume that that is probably a standard idea, right? That wealth, money, respect, fame, that's what success looks like. But if you actually ask people that are successful, they don't always define it that way. In fact, in an Insider magazine a couple of years ago, they asked nine famous people how they define success, and it was really all over the map. John Wooden, probably one of the greatest coaches of all time, 620 wins, 10 national championships as a basketball coach, he defined success this way. He said success is uh, the, quote, self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. So for him, it's just being the best you possible, that's success. Uh, if you look at Mark Cuban, billionaire, you've seen him on uh, Shark Tank and the owner of the Mavericks. He said success is waking up in the morning with a smile on your face knowing it's going to be a great day. So I guess that's just optimism, right? If you're optimistic, you're successful. Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Mr. Amazon himself, when he was asked about this from, in Inc. Magazine, he said, quote, if you want to be successful in business and in life, actually, you need to create more than you consume. Your goal should be to create value for everyone you interact with. So you can kind of tell this idea of success is kind of all over the map. So let me ask you something. If the Apostle Paul was going to give you his defini definition of success, what do you think he would say? If Paul were standing here, let me tell you what success is, what would he say? You know, you could argue that Paul was very successful before he met Christ, right? I mean, he was, he was certainly incredibly bright, had academic uh, prowess. I mean, he had some of the best teachers. He quickly climbed the ladder. He achieved the status of Pharisee, which was no uh, simple thing to do. He was really one of those meteoric rising stars. And, and certainly he was successful. And yet when he encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus, all of a sudden his whole idea of success flipped. What he thought was really what life's about all of a sudden became nothing to him. In Philippians chapter three, he kind of talks about it. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, that is before I met Christ, everything that I thought was what life was about, my success, everything that was gained to me, I have considered it to be a loss compared uh, because of Christ. More than that, 
I've also considered everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Then you think about what his life was like after his conversion, after he met Jesus, it certainly was successful, right? I mean, this guy wrote about 80% of the New Testament. He went on to articulate the gospel to cultures outside the Jewish culture, Gentiles, that's what we are. He was able to take the gospel through missionary tours and multiplying church movements to all the way to the West and eventually to us. I mean, this guy was incredibly successful. So what's, how would he define success? I mean, yeah, he had some kind of success and he considered that not success. And now he figured out what really is successful. How would he define what success is? And let me just tell you what I think Paul would say. I think he would say this, success is fulfilling God's greater purpose for your life. Success is fulfilling God's greater purpose for your life. Now listen to me. Our problem is not that we are aiming too high for success. Our problem is that we aim too low. See, our view of success has to happen in our lifetime, right? If, if it's got to happen in this little bitty sliver of space called our lifetime, which is just that long in scope of eternity. And then it's about what we can achieve and what we can co- accomplish and what we can accrue in this particular life. And then it's about how many people know us, right? And, and that success for us, it's so small. It's so little. When God's got this greater vision of success for your life that is much greater because it's not just about here, it's about eternity. It's not just about you, it's about others. It's not about your reputation, it's about God's renown and God's glory. See, so God's got this bigger, greater purpose and we can trade it all for this little bitty view of success. How sad would it be for you to live your whole life banging out 60, 80 hours a week, you know, on a little bitty view of success and miss the bigger picture, the greater view of success in life. Newsflash, when you get to heaven, Jesus is not gonna ask you, how many boards were you on? You know, uh, uh, how, how, how many degrees do you have? You know, let me see your P&L statement on your business. You know, did you really grow it? Did people know who you were? He's not gonna ask you any of that stuff but he's gonna ask you something. And that is really where true success is found. I think when you look at Paul's life, you find three things about Paul. One is he was clear on, on his what. What did God call him to do? He was clear on his how, how he was gonna live this mission out. And he was very clear on his why, his motive, his what, his how, and his why. And if you're going to be successful and really live out God's greater purpose for your life, you got to be clear on your what, on your how, and on your why. Okay? And that's what he talks about in this passage. In Colossians chapter 1, this is one of the most personal passages that we see in Paul, where he's talking about himself. He's talking about why he does what he does and how he does it and what motivates him. I mean, it's a very intimate, personal passage because you're kind of getting in the soul of Paul and what motivated him and what drove him and what did he focus on and what was his calling. And it's an insightful passage because it helps us to know how to live a life that is meaningful and successful in God's eyes. So let's, if you're taking notes, I'm going to talk about your what, I'm going to talk about your how and your why. Okay, so let's look at what. What has God called you to do? What has God called you to do? And we're going to look at Colossians 1 verse 24. If you're with me, say amen. amen. This is the word of God. Now I rejoice 
in my sufferings for you. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles a glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now stop right there. Paul was really clear on what God called him to do, right? He didn't have any fog in that. He knew exactly what, that God called him for a specific purpose. In fact, he kind of alludes to it in verse 25. He talks about God's commission that was given me for you. What's he talking about? What, what, what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about, he's kind of, his mind's going back to back on that Damascus road. When he was headed up to Damascus, he was going to persecute Christians. He was going to throw them in jail, right? That's what he was there to do. He was zealous to attack Christians, and he encountered the resurrected Christ. And when he encountered Jesus, there's a bright light, he falls to the ground, and then Jesus, in that moment, completely redefines Paul's purpose in life. Redefines success for Paul. Listen to what, but I'm going to read you out of Acts chapter 26. This is what Jesus said to Paul on that, on that road. He said, get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a, a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, that is to the Gentiles, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you get that? He said, the whole reason why God encountered me is because he was going to change my view of success. And from this point forward, my objective, my mission, my definition of success is to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to people outside the Jewish culture, so that they would know Christ. And so he's writing to these Colossians, he goes, man, the reason why I'm in jail is because of you. <laughs> the reason why I'm going through this is because of you. I mean, this is what God called me to do. I don't feel sorry for me. This is what God called me to do. I am doing my what? I got a clear picture of what God called me to do. Now, he also mentioned a couple other things about his what that are important for us. One is that he defines his what was to point people to Christ and to make known the mystery of the gospel. He talks about the mystery, right? To make this mystery known. What, when we think of mystery, we think of like crime junkies, right? We think of, uh, you know, unsolved mysteries, right? Uh, some case that we can't figure out. When, when Paul was thinking about mystery, he was talking about things in the Old Testament that we couldn't quite figure out, but now it's revealed today. For example, in the Old Testament, it talked about the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to rule and he's going to reign with justice and righteousness. And all the people are going to uh, rise up and, and, and be blessed, right? And then at the other, other passages, it says the Messiah is going to come, he's going to suffer, and he's going to die, and he's going to rise again. And it's like, okay, how do these fit together? It's a mystery. But he said, now we understand it. 
Now that Christ has come, we, we, we get that, 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 that Christ came, the Messiah came, and yeah, he came to die for our sins, to rise again on the third day, just as he said he would. But he's gonna come again, and he's gonna rule and reign. And so now we understand, it was a mystery then, now we get it, right? And so he's saying, my job is to make that clear to you. My job is to make it crystal clear so that you understand what God is doing. It's a mystery that God's revealing to us. Christ has come to us. Christ has died for us. Christ is raised on our behalf. Christ is coming again and Christ is in you. Wow, man, the hope of glory, Christ in you by his spirit. Man, that's just mind blowing stuff. And he goes, my job is to make this clear. But he said, in making this clear, the second thing is, I'm going to get pushback, right? And I'm getting pushback. And that's why I'm in jail. And that's why I'm suffering as I am is because I'm doing what God called me to do. Listen, there's a misnomer that if you're doing exactly what God's going to call you to do, it's smooth sailing, right? Blessing and prosperity is coming down to you, right? Because you're right in the flow of what God wants you to do. But do you know what? That is actually not biblical, how many examples can we find over and over where somebody is doing exactly what God called them to do and it's suffering, it's hardship. Uh, this was certainly the case for Paul. Paul suffered greatly, beaten multiple times, stoned multiple times, uh, exiled, shipwrecked. Is that because Paul was doing something wrong or doing something right? Is because he was doing exactly his what? Think about Jesus. Jesus suffered more than anyone. Did he suffer because he did something wrong? No. So listen, it may be that your suffering is because you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. In fact, he makes this kind of strange statement here. He said, I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his church. That does not mean that Jesus' suffering was incomplete and so Paul is now finishing it off. That's not what that means. He's not saying that somehow the atonement wasn't quite complete and so Paul's suffering is gonna top it off, no. The the suffering of Jesus was complete on the cross. He said, it is what? It is finished, right? What he is saying is this, just as Jesus suffered to purchase our salvation, that as we get the message out, we're gonna suffer too. And the truth of the matter is, we got Christians all over the world today that are suffering because of the gospel. And we may have to endure hardship as well for the sake of the gospel. Ed Narm Judson is, an, is a uh, missionary. Uh, we don't really hear much about him. He was one of the first Baptist missionaries to go overseas. He went to uh, Burma to take the gospel, to translate the gospel. He suffered greatly because of that, even though his work uh, was uh, ordained by God. He made a statement that I thought was really important. He said, there is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it is because someone has suffered before you. And if you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after you. Wow, that's so true. So, what's God called you to do? What's your what? Are you clear on what God has called you to do? Now, I'm not talking about your career. I'm not talking about what school you go to. I'm talking about what has God called you to do that impacts eternity? What is God calling you to do with your one single life that matters for eternity? 
what is your what? And while you're chewing on that one, let me just uh, stretch your brain a little bit more and say this. What if your what is the same as my what? What if when we come to Christ, what if we're kind of like Paul, when we, we have these, all these visions and dreams of what our life's going to be like, and then when we encounter Jesus, he goes, okay, those were your great plans. <laughs> all right, now let's look at my plan, and my plan that really impacts eternity is going to be the same as every other follower of Jesus. And that is to point people to Christ. I mean, what else can you do that impacts eternity more than that? What else can you do that, that glorifies God more than that? What else can you do that is more others focused than that? And that is to point people to Jesus. Now, we're going to do it all in different ways, right? You may be an engineer and you do that out on the work site and you do that through your relationships with clients and with engineers and, and construction workers and all that kind of thing. Maybe you're a coach and so you do that by, by coaching your team and by influencing parents and other coaches. Maybe you do that uh, as you sell insurance, right? And you're going to do that with your clients and with your other people you work with. You, we all have different gifts. We all have different platforms. But what if your what is simply to point people to Jesus. Would that be successful in Christ's eyes? I think the answer to that would be yes. In fact, I can't think of anything else that would be more successful than that. A life better lived than that. And so, you gotta be crystal clear on why you're at your job. Listen, this is a Sunday sermon for Monday. You understand what I mean by that? I'm preaching to you today for tomorrow. So that when you go into your office, you're not just there to, to advance your career or advance the bottom line. You're there to say, okay, I've got a what here, and that is to use whatever relationships I have, whatever influence I have, to point people to Christ. That is my what. I've got to be crystal clear on that, because if I get fuzzy on that, they're going to miss it. Something else is going to take, uh, take its place. Your what is to point people to Christ. You say, well, Craig, I... I Man, I, I don't really know how I do that. Well, I'm so glad you said that because the, the how comes next, all right? How are you to do that? How, how am I supposed to point people to Jesus uh, where God has planted me? And we'll look at verse 28. I love that. Paul just keeps going. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what he's going for. He wants everybody mature in Jesus, right? 29, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So his what is to point people to Christ. He, his how, get this, listen, lean into it. His how is to invest in others. To invest in others. You say, well, Craig, it doesn't say the word invest in others. Well, yeah, it does. It uses different words, though. He says, I proclaim, so that would be like public preaching. That's what, like, what I'm doing right now. He said, I do this through public proclamation, but I also do this through teaching and warning, which is very private. It's very personal. It's life on life. It's over coffee. It's over lunch. It's, it's in a small group, right, where I'm just investing in these people, and I'm trying to get them to take their next step toward Jesus. Now, listen, you can do that. You can do that. In fact, that's what God has called you to do, to point people to Jesus by personally investing in specific ones that God has already put in your life. Think about it right now. Who are the people in your life right now? If you go to work, who are the top three people right now, the Spirit of God's going to put them on, you, on your mind, that you need to invest some time in them to help them take a step toward Jesus? You can do that. 
Now, I'm not suggesting you go to work and stand on your desk and preach, all right? That might be kind of interesting, kind of fun to watch, but I'm not suggesting that. That might be a little weird, but you can say, hey, man, let's grab lunch this week and let's talk about what's happening in your life. You can do that. Hey, let's go grab coffee this week and let's talk about, you know, what, what you're dealing with and how I can pray for you and how can I help you and how can I encourage you in your walk with God. That is what, what Paul did warning, teaching, privately, public proclamation, whatever it took, he wanted to invest in people. That was his pattern. That was Jesus' pattern. That's the pattern he gave us to follow, his personal investment. You know, the cool thing about the real-time event that we had last Monday night, we had a packed house. People were here to hear uh, Jay Warner Wallace. He did an amazing job. If you missed it, we're going to be posting that very soon online. But the greatest joy for me was not just his presentation, even though it was really great. The greatest joy for me was watching our people come with people sitting with them that I did not know. And I knew they were there because these were the folks that they had been working with and inviting and bringing. And I thought, oh man, they're living their purpose. They're living their purpose. They're helping point this person to Jesus. And they're investing in their lives. Hey, man, let's go to this thing together. Let's talk about it. You can do that. And you said, well, Craig, that sounds like a lot of work, man. I mean, I'm just in this for Sundays. No, 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 we're not. We're not just in this for Sundays. It would take a lot of work. In fact, the apostle Paul said this, "Uh, I labor for this. Yeah, there's some work involved. But the cool thing is, he said, striving with all his strength that works powerfully in me. In other words, here's the cool thing. If you will just do that, if you'll say, okay, here's three or four people. I'm going to invest in them to try to move them a step closer to Jesus. God will speak through you to them. I mean, that is just blows me away that God will use you and he'll speak through you. You know, almost everybody's testimony is the same, all right? Just about. They go, man, I was really lost. I was not thinking about God. I was kind of living my own life. Many times they'll say I hit a crisis or I started questioning. And then God put this person in my life and they invited me to church or they prayed for me or they invited me to a Bible study or they talked to me about God. Or they showed me God's love. And then all of a sudden I got it. And I realized my need for God and I asked Christ to come into my life. See, there was always somebody that God put in their life that God used them, that God spoke through them. And God wants to do that in your life. God wants to use you to impact others. The God of the universe will speak through you and work through you if you'll just do it. So success is not about wealth. It's not about fame or respect it is about being clear on what your what which is to point people to Jesus and your how that you're going to invest in them and and step by step trying to encourage them along in their spiritual journey and and then he gets to the why the motivation the what is the direction the how is the action the why is the motivation and why would we do this Why don't we just live for ourselves? Well, he tells us, look at chapter two, verse one. And just listen to his heart here. I think you're really getting into the heart of Paul. He really is opening up. He said, I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. 
In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. You hear it? You hear his motivation in there? It's a heart of love. He's like, you know what? I've, I've heard of you guys. I haven't met you. I'm just writing this letter to you. But man, I've heard how God's worked in your life. And I hear what you're doing in the church plant there in Colossae. And man, my heart is going out to you. And we, we love you. And man, I, I'm wrestling in prayer for you and the other church in Laodicea. They, they were right there together. I'm wrestling in prayer. Even though I don't know you personally, God's put you on my heart. And I just want God's best for you. I want you to love each other well. I want you to know Jesus better and better. I want you to be uh, discerning so that people don't lead you astray. I want you to grow in your faith. See, it's like a father that just wants the best for his kids, man. He goes, I just love you and I, I just want God's best for you. He said, I want you to love Jesus the way I love Jesus. I want you to know Jesus the way I know Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus the way I follow Jesus. I want God's blessing on you the way he's blessed me. Listen, when your motivation is that others will love Jesus the way you do and know him the way you do, now you're getting into what success really looks like in God's eyes. That's what God's looking for. Do you have that love for people? Are you concerned about those people in your life that God's put you around? John Harper was a Scottish pastor. And uh, God really used him in an incredible way. I mean, he was a godly, godly man, had an incredible prayer life and really truly loved people, had a burden for people. His brother George wrote this about him, quote, I have been with him in prayer again and again when his whole frame shook like an aspen leaf. So earnest was he in his pleading with God for a perishing world. One friend said, a man, he was a man who was in touch with God. Another one said, I was amazed at his boldness in asking God for great things. Another person said, when John Harper prayed, heaven and earth met. Wow. How'd you like for somebody to say that about you? It was in April, this, about this same time of year, when Harper was invited to travel to Chicago and to preach. He had done that before, and God had moved in a powerful way, so they wanted him to come back and preach the gospel again in Chicago. And so he boarded a ship with his little girl and his sister. His wife had long since passed away, and they were headed to America. That ship was the Titanic. And so when that ship collided with that glacier that ripped a gashing wound in the side of the ship and it began to bleed out, if you were, chaos ensued on the ship. I mean, everyone was, was trying to get into lifeboats and people were offering money to try to get onto lifeboats. It was a perilous, chaotic, scary, panicked situation. And John Harper put his little girl and his sister on a lifeboat and he promised them that he would see them again. 
And then he turned around and he began to do his what? He began to tell people about Christ. When his body was plunged into that cold, freezing, black sea, he would hang on to debris or a life preserver and, and, and whoever God, you know, the, the current would take him by, he would, he would minister to them and pray for them and share the gospel with them. Uh, the current swept him up next to a man that was holding on to a piece of debris. And he said, man, are you saved? And the man said, well, I, I don't know. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Of course, there was chaos all around him, and the current moved him around, but as if it were providentially, the current moved him back to the same man a little bit later, and he said, man, are you saved? And he goes, I don't know. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And after he spoke those words, his body disappeared under the water surface. Some years later, survivors of that tragic night gathered to share their memories and their stories of survival and the loved ones that they lost. And a man stood in that crowd and he said, I was holding on to a piece of debris when a man came to me and he asked me, man, are you saved? And he said, I was so scared. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he disappeared. And he said, I was actually saved twice that night. Once pulled out of the freezing water. And once because John Harper told me about Jesus. He said, I was Harper's last convert before he died. Today in Glasgow, Scotland, there is a church, probably met this morning, founded by John Harper, Harper Memorial Baptist Church, that still preaches the gospel and still asks the question, are you saved? What would motivate a man like that to do what he did? It was love. And that kind of love is compelling. Folks, real success in life is not about you getting more, accomplishing more in your one little span of life for it to be given over to somebody else in the end anyway. Real success in life, really living the one life that God has given you to its fullest is to know your what? That is to point people to Jesus. To know your how. That is to invest in them intentionally to that end and to know your why. Because God loved you and he wants to, you to be a reflection of his love to them. That is success. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Success begins with Jesus. And the real question is, do you know him? I could ask you that question that Harper asked that night, are you saved? That is, do you know for sure that if you die, you go to heaven? Have you had a moment in time when you heard the gospel and were convicted of your sin, you believed on the Lord Jesus and he changed your life? And if you are not sure, then you can be sure today. John wrote these things 
are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. And listen, you can know it. You can have confidence that you know Christ when you believe on the Lord Jesus with all your heart. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith. And um, if you say, Craig, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Uh, I want to know Christ. I want, I want to know for sure that I'm saved. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. Then I'm going to ask you in just a minute to lift your hand and I'll see your hand and I'll pray for you. And I'm not going to call you out in any way, but it, it allows you to respond to God with a simple lifting of your hand that says, I need Jesus. So with no one looking around, but God moving in your heart. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, I need Christ. I don't know for sure, but I want to be sure. Right now, the Spirit of God is pulling at you. All right, lift your hand. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Lift up your hand. Anybody else? Lift up your hand. I, I need Christ. All right, thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. I need Jesus. Anybody else? Lift it up right now. I need Christ. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, then put your hand down and let's pray together. Just pray the simple prayer with me. Just right where you are, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Make me a new person. Today I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. You are my only hope. I believe in you, Lord Jesus, right now. I confess you with my mouth that you're my Lord. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for forgiving me. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word today. It's just so rich. It's so timely. Lord, I pray that we would not live our lives with a small view of success in mind, but we would live for, for eternity. We would live with the greater, your greater purpose in mind, that right where you plant us, right where we're gonna go to work tomorrow, right where we're gonna go to school tomorrow, right where you have us in our life, that Lord, we can point people to you, we can invest in others to take another step, we can show them your love, just as you have loved us. Lord, thank you that a successful life is lived one day at a time. So Lord, help us live today and tomorrow with success in your eyes. You're our hope and our joy and our delight. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.